0: you're listening to stocks and sandals a podcast by stock dads
1: for stock dads following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad so pull up your cargo shorts put on your grass-stained new balances and let's throw some stocks on the grill here are your hosts DJ Brown and Mike Zabala.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stocks and Sandals. This is your host, Mike Sabala, and I am joined, as always, by DJ Brown here. And this is actually our 10th episode, DJ. Can you believe it? No, that's crazy. Can you believe crazy. we're still here, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't been, like, laughed off the stage yet or, like cut chased after with pitchforks like stop making podcasts this right. is horrible <laughs> yeah
0: we uh we still have like people downloading and it's crazy it's weird
1: it's weird i definitely uh like i thought like when when we first came up with the idea like this is a pretty cool idea like i think the branding's fun like i think it'll be really helpful but like i never really honestly thought that you and I would stick it out this it like long. I thought on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that like, we would be like, well, I'm discouraged. I'm done by, <laughs> but no, like we've had awesome support and, um, our listeners and our stock dads group has been super helpful and encouraging and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, today because of, you know, uh, the support and because of, you know, helping us get our name out there a little bit more and stuff, uh, we, we're able to snag a big fish in the pond. Well, I think Oof. he's a big fish. Uh, it, after talking to him, he, you know, he's so humble, but, um, today we have, uh, Jason Lee, uh, who is the founder of, uh, options swing and options swing is, uh, pretty near and dear to my heart. Cause it's, uh, one of the first like stock pages that I started to follow when I first started my journey to learn about this stuff. Um, It's uh, on Instagram specifically is where I followed them and just like the the info that they give and the way it's so consumable and like aesthetically pleasing and it's just like it's awesome stuff and I'm really, really excited to have Jason here. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Jason and kind of just let you tell us a little bit more about your story, Jason, because you got a pretty cool one.
2: Yeah, thank you, DJ and thank you, Mike, for having me on the show today. Um, So as you mentioned, I am the uh, founder and CEO of Option Swing, And the way that it kind of came about in terms of how the community was created was back in about August of last year. Um, I ended up, you know, throughout the course of the last three years, I'd say I started trading options a lot more heavily um, over stock trading. And during those three years, I did pretty well for myself. And what ended up happening was I had a lot of friends who would start asking me, You know, hey, how do you trade options? Hey, what companies are you looking at? Hey, you know, what are some of the strategies that you use? And it went from me talking and texting, you know, one person to three people to five to eight. And soon it just kind of became too much where I just couldn't keep up with all the texts. And so that's when I decided that it would make more sense to find some sort of platform that would allow me to create content to educate people, but be able to post it once and everyone be able to learn from it. And so from that, you know, I chose Instagram just because of the visual nature of. The platform itself, but also the kind of posts that I want to start creating. And then we launched our uh, Instagram channel and then started tracking, you know, a lot of the trades and then it built its following from there.
1: It's awesome, man. Like, I just I mean, I can't stress enough to our listeners that if you haven't seen their Instagram page, uh, you got to check it out. It's at options swing. And it's just like, full like chock full of just awesome, like consumable bites of information that will like, the, i have le- learned a ton from it so it's one of my favorites um and it's it's really cool to hear that you know this kind of started by accident for you and like not something you ever intended to do and i think that's those are usually the best success stories to me to hear is like you know you just find something that you're good at or that you're passionate about and you just start bringing people along and that's kind of how we started you know like we i started you know mike and i started just trading and messing around when we got the, you know, the stimulus check and um, had some beginner's luck, which, you know, now looking back was not the best experience to have because now that it's not going as well, I mean, it's still going well and I'm learning a lot, but I actually feel like it's better now because I'm learning to do it the right way and not just the lucky way. Um, But yeah, I mean, I got, I kind of fell in love with it and decided we were I was going to try and bring other dads along with me because I think it's a really cool way to build generational wealth and stuff so tell me more about like you know you started this uh just by texting people or whatever and it's grown into this you know monster of a thing for you like how have you managed this because you were uh from talking to you ahead of time like you you had a pretty awesome job already like full-time job and like you weren't you were doing this on the side tell me more about that
2: yeah, so you're, you're right. You know, I was doing what I would consider my dream job, um, which was working as a solution architect for a large cloud technology company. And it was great because I like that consulting role. Um, I like enabling others. I like helping people and finding solutions to problems and so forth. And then it just kind of helped translate in terms of those skills and those kind of passions over to helping people with trading.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, to start this uh, and to grow the way you have, you, you had to be good at it. Um so like how did you start? Like what was your a story of like beginning to learn all this stuff and did you have a similar like you know beginner's luck type of a story or was this like uh you know, do you study a bunch ahead of time? Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so um originally when I started trading, I started trading stocks, but I specifically started trading penny stocks just because the volatility was very high. Um, you know, there were 5 cents, 10 cents, 20 cents a share, that kind of stuff. So especially being fresh out of college and wanting to learn how to invest, I didn't have, you know, a ton of money at the time. So just penny stock trading kind of made sense to me. Um, And as I started kind of trading more and more through stocks, um, I learned about options, but I never could wrap my head around it because it just seemed complex in terms of what is a call? What is a put? What are these strike prices? What are these expiration dates? How does this all even... You know, come together, and how do you even make money? And so I took a really long, you know, kind of gap of trying to dip my toe in in, in the options trading world um, until again about like five years into my trading career um, when I really started kind of looking at Robinhood. And Robinhood, what I loved about it was that the UI of it was so simple, and they made it extremely easy to understand how to trade options because, from a visual standpoint, you know, you have your up green, down red. You know, you have it all kind of laid out in terms of calls and puts and all that kind of stuff. And so, as I started trying it and trading a little bit of options, um, I realized that it was almost like penny stock trading on blue chip companies because these contracts that you're buying, anywhere from you know ten cents all the way up to a dollar or more, you know, has these huge swings of thirty percent, fifty percent, hundred percent, you know, sometimes in a single day. And so, um, what I did in the beginning was very similar to you guys, um, not really knowing you know, what I was doing, there's this kind of joke that we always talk about internally in our group, which is the first one is always free. So just like you guys experienced, you know, when you first get into options trading, I don't know why, but everyone is always lucky in the beginning, which is why everyone gets so hooked into it. And people see, you know, this, uh, you know, the potential to make great money from just investing some money and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, to your point, it is just a lot of luck based trading. And people are just kind of, you know, buying things maybe on a whim or maybe they read something in the news, but oftentimes in the news, it's already too late. So um, what I did was I started trading and I had some successes in the beginning, but then man, I got hit by some losses and I didn't know what I was doing with position sizing. I wasn't really quite sure in terms of risk management, where to cut my losses, all this kind of stuff. Um, I knew technical trading, technical analysis, because I did that from a, a stock trading standpoint, but I just couldn't figure out from an options standpoint, how to prevent myself from taking on so many losses because everything moves so quickly. And so it just kind of over time, just spending the um, you know, time and energy and effort, again, similar to what you guys are doing of researching online, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, listening to other big options traders and how they trade and the different strategies that they look at. And then from there, I started to kind of build my own style of trading. And then that's really helped carry me on through kind of all the way until now.
0: That's awesome. That's a that's affirming for me because as you were walking through that I was like you you're describing me. Like that's exactly like where I'm at. So
1: <laughs> maybe in 5 years, you know, we'll also have like an option swing sized, you know, organization stuff. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, probably not. probably not Don't hold don't hold <laughs> her <brother>. breath. <laughs> it all starts somewhere. Yeah. yeah.
1: So can you tell us uh I mean We had another, you know, episode on options, um, you know, and that was a great episode as well. But, you know, again, like always, options are just so intimidating to me and uh, overwhelming. So I'm kind of, you know, I kind of want to know again (laughs) a little bit more from another perspective as well. Like you just kind of describe a little bit basic level with your, you know, how basic you guys do your Infographics and stuff like, kind of give me some like bite-sized knowledge about like what options really are, and like maybe a look into maybe some of your uh, basic strategies and stuff like that that have helped you get
2: where you are. Absolutely. So from a basic kind of educational standpoint, an options contract, um, what it means is it gives you the the right but not the obligation to buy the underlying asset, which typically is a stock um, of a company. <clears throat> now, what makes up an op- options contract? is really a few key things their first thing is what you call a strike price the strike price is the price that you think it's supposed to hit or it's going to hit then you have something called the expiration price or the expiration date excuse me which is when you when the contract itself is supposed to expire and that expiration date being tied to the strike date needs to fall in line with each other in order for that contract to maintain its value Um, and as you Have a contract that you would consider out of the money, meaning it's far from that strike price, the contract um, value itself gets further and further um, cheaper, just because it's further and further away from that strike. And so just with with options trading as a whole, the idea is to be looking at the strike prices, looking at these expiration dates. Um, Typically, I steer clear away from any kind of um, weekly-based options, just because the volatility is just too high um, and the decay. Um, against the contracts, or we're just way too high. Uh, and and me personally, and I think this is something that will resonate with um, a lot of the kind of listeners today on this uh, podcast, is that I don't have the most time in the world. Um, especially with the things that I'm doing of running, you know, a fifteen-person company with Option Swing, as well as a few other um, companies that I've actually recently launched. But the big thing is that I, I can't sit at a computer screen watching this chart on a minute by minute basis, tracking my trades, you know, tracking entries and exits and everything like that. I need to work from what what you would consider a swing trade um, type of style where you buy a position and then you hold it for at least a day. But usually it's more than that, maybe a few days to a week to a few weeks to a month, um, if not longer. But you essentially just swing that position to hopefully into profits and then you lock it in at that point. So um, w- when you talk about some basic strategies around things that I look at, Um, It can be as simple as looking at support and resistances. So um, if you're familiar with those terms, the support being kind of this trend line that gets created uh, where the stock price will continuously bounce and then recover. And then you have your resistance, which is that top point where it'll try to touch that resistance line and oftentimes get rejected and get pushed back down. And based on where that levels are in terms of the stock price that's trading, if I see that it's right at that resistance line, I'm probably not going to buy calls unless I'm very bullish thinking that it's gonna break through that resistance and keep going higher and higher and higher. Um, oftentimes what you'll see is a bounce off that resistance and it'll kind of fall back down. So if something that's high on the resistance line might be actually a put opportunity, um, you know, as you're tracking that. And vice versa, if some price is staying very, very low on the support line, there's probably a lot of potential for that price to increase, to touch that resistance on that upper point. So again, that provides another swing trade opportunity to, to swing that. So, um, even from a basic level, you know, those are the things that I look at, as well as even things like volume and RSI's and MACD's and all that good stuff.
0: So I have two quick questions going off of that. But first, I'm going to kind of have you walk me through a scenario. Um, and I think that that'll answer a lot of my questions. And it's also, disclaimer, probably going to show you how little I know about options. So, <laughs> um, so just bear with me through this if it's really dumb. Um, and just kind of like... Can you tell me like why this would happen or if this wouldn't happen, like why? So so say um, I'm looking at a stock and the shares are, say, $100 a share, right? So I buy a um, call, say it's, it expires next week. I, I know you, you said you don't do weekly, but just for the example, say it expires next week um, and I'm, I think it'll go to $110. So the $110 is my strike price, right? Yes. So say the next day, the price goes to $115. So at that point, it's in the money, right? So when I'm closing out of that position, am I just selling that contract to somebody else?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So and then are they buying that contract? So say it went to $115. Are they buying that contract then at that $115 price?
2: Yep, exactly. So The way it works is it's just kind of an open marketplace. And so as someone who's buying um, a contract, you are just simply buying the right to sell that stock. And when you sell that contract, you're just selling that right to someone else um, of that same contract, but hopefully at a greater price than what you bought it for. And then on the other side, there's the people who actually sell these option contracts to people like you and I. And these are the people who are holding these large share positions in these companies and then writing these covered contracts that essentially allow us to then you know trade those contracts sure. until expiration.
0: So so then my question going off of that, why would some so the so the original uh call I bought, right, was for $110. So like why would somebody buy that when it's at $115? You know, are they just expecting it to go higher? Like, why would they at that point not just buy a call for like $120, you know, like what's the difference between buying that contract that's already in the money versus one that, you know,
2: is out of the money. Yeah, right. Um, There's a few different reasons why someone would want to do that. Um, first and foremost, it's protection. Um, when you have a contract that's in the money, the contract itself is always going to sustain what you call intrinsic value. So it's never going to go to zero because it's in the money and it holds its value there
1: um even if the stock drops so even if the stock drops after they buy it it still holds its value
2: exactly you can you can have it drop from 115 down to 110 and your contracts will still maintain value but as soon as it drops below 110 then it's considered out of the money and with a, a one week expiration or how you look at it you know two week expiration that you know falling out of the money really pushes that you know number in terms of the intrinsic value down faster and faster because the closer you are to that expiration date, and the further and further you're getting from that strike price, the less and less these contracts are going to be worth. Sure. Um, another reason, yeah, would be also just to exercise these contracts, because um, part of you know having the right and the obligation, or not the obligation, but the right to to buy these uh, stocks at a certain price, you know, on the certain date, is that some of these people want to get favorable um, share positions, because each contract is worth a hundred shares. Maybe they want to buy a huge block purchase of you know five hundred thousand shares, um, but without having to buy you know necessarily you know five hundred thousand block shares at one time, they can buy you know options contracts instead, and then use that to you know exercise and then get it at a, at a better price. You know, so it, it really depends. But there's you know multiple reasons.
0: Okay, yeah, I wondered if exercising it in some way kind of played into that. So that's helpful. Um, And my second question, um, from what you were saying previously, um, you said that you look at like the support and resistance and stuff like that. Um, as far as technical analysis goes, when you're looking at, um, options, are you still just looking at, so say I want to get like a call on Apple, like, are, are you still looking at just Apple to do your technical analysis? Or is there like some kind of special thing specific to options you're looking at when you're doing your technical analysis?
2: Yeah. So there's there's kind of two answers to that cuz there's the pre-option swing days of how I traded and then the post option swing days of how I traded. Um pre-option swing days it really was just, you know, technical analysis, looking at the chart. Um, a lot of times I'd do some research on notable news events. So if Apple had like a big conference coming up where they're making some big product announcements, you know, there's a lot of hype leading into that. So you can usually play a run up, you know, to that that conference but maybe sell before the actual announcements and that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, ultimately it was a lot of that and post auction swing days, there's just, there's, there's just so much data that's out there that is accessible, but when you don't know how to use it, it's completely useless. And what I mean by this is that there is like, like what we have inside of auction swing inside our community is uh, multiple bots that we've created. And what these bots do is they look at the open market orders and they look at what's being placed and they, they take. Orders that are in a certain set of criteria. So, for example, um, you know anything that's over you know two hundred fifty thousand, anything that's over half a million, anything that's over a million. And whenever these big, large purchases are made in the market, we we see that and flag it and post it into our community so people can see almost what we call an options flow of all the purchases that are being made every single day. Now, the reason why that's important is because we're just a small group with all things considered compared to some of these large. Um, you know, firms out there like these hedge funds and whatnot. And when they make these purchases, there's two different ways to look at it. There's one where they don't want to give away all their cards. So they make a bunch of small purchases at a single time. And then that way it floats under the radar. But when you kind of calculate all of them into a single one, you can see that it was most likely coming from the same person. And then there's also some people who see an immediate opportunity where they just can't wait and they need to just buy into the position to to try to lock in some you know opportunity. So they just purchase a huge you know, block order at the same time too, and when you're looking at this kind of flow, and let's say we're you know looking at Apple, and at 9:30 in the morning as market opens, you suddenly see um, you know some golden flow of a one million dollar block order of Apple calls for you know twenty dollars out of the strike price for expirations for next week, right? And so that's way out of the money. Expiration is very short term, and someone's betting a million dollars on that right now. That to me is already a huge flag that they probably know something and are taking a large position right now into that and um, are probably gonna ride it. And I, it's because there's so much flow that comes in on a daily basis, it's impossible to buy into every single position, but from a you know, opportunity standpoint of sourcing opportunities and looking and doing the analysis and then deciding whether you wanna get it, it's really great for it. And then also when you're maintaining positions and you're holding um, positions and suddenly you see maybe a ton of uh, flow for put you know, orders coming in and people betting that the stock's going to suddenly drop out of nowhere, you know, that might give you some indication to maybe reduce some of the position you're holding, um, because, you know, you never know what might happen. And so, um, post-option trading days, I feel like we're a lot smarter just because of the transparency around the data that we've created.
1: Okay. So, um, again, I'm an idiot and this is still, I mean, this is, this is getting better for me. I'm starting to formulate, you know, what, how this stuff this stuff works but just a really basic question in the scenario that mike used the higher let's say before your expiration date or whatever the higher above $10 or $110 it goes the more money you're making right it's not capped off at anything like it's however high it goes within that time before you sell it then you're good right same thing with puts like if you the lower it goes below whatever strike price you set you know the more money you make right exactly all right, now the next thing is again in our previous episode, um, we talked a lot about the Greeks, and you're talking more like the technical analysis stuff that I'm familiar with. So, how much do the Greeks play into your strategy? Um, like, do you ever do options on pennies or only blue chips? Like, give me some of that stuff.
2: Yeah. So, to, to answer your most recent question in terms of options, what I'm trading on, um, typically, it depends because like, I would love to trade options on Amazon um, because Amazon shares are you know, so expensive. But at the same time, the option contracts themselves are also cor- correlating to that, which would also make them extremely expensive. And so when you look at kind of which companies to pick, you kind of want to find something that's in the sweet spot of anywhere from you know, $10 a share um, all the way up to you know a few hundred dollars a share. And then anytime you start looking above that, you know, you'll typically see that these contract prices are going to be you know, thousands of dollars just for a single contract, you know, and if you don't have the, the buying power to be able to purchase that um, without using up your entire account, then, you know, you shouldn't be looking at it because it's very bad to kind of toss your entire account into a single position You know, and that kind of stuff. Um, And, and DJ, do you mind repeating that first part of your question again?
1: Yeah. Just like using the Greeks as like a, like a way to determine if it's a contract that you want to buy or not. Cause that's, Still, I think the thing that holds me back the most, like I get the premise of options and like Mike's scenario makes sense, but like determining whether or not an option would be a good buy or not is what is the holdup. And then there's always that uh, potential infinite loss term that I've heard tossed around with options that freaks me out. And I don't know if I'm ever like, is there a certain type of contract also that you can buy that doesn't have that as a thing? Because... I don't want that.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, from an infinite loss perspective, um, the, way, the way that it works is when you buy an options contract, um, if you buy for, let's say, $100 for that one contract and it runs to zero, it's going to be zero. And so the most you're going to lose is $100 on that contract. Um, there are times when people exercise contracts. So you're holding the right um, to buy or sell, you know, Sedge stock. Um, For X amount of price, but you're holding that contract, and the person on the other side who might have sold it to you or whatnot might want to exercise that contract because maybe it's in the money and maybe they want to take advantage of that. And what ends up happening is that um, there's a whole a whole thing that goes on in the back end. But essentially, the brokerage will buy the shares on your behalf, even though in your account you don't have the money to buy necessarily 100 shares of that company, and they'll buy that on margin, and then they'll sell it to that person, and then they'll um, either take away whatever money or um, give you money you know based on that, but most of the time you know the the max loss is usually what you put into that option contract um, i've almost never seen a scenario where someone put in you know a thousand dollars and suddenly owed you know forty thousand dollars or something like that it's really um, it's a little bit misleading, but when the shares are exercised or, or when the contracts are exercised the 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 margin that gets purchased to buy all that stock looks very high, but in the In the surface level things, it's really not you paying forty thousand for it. It's the brokerage firm you know paying forty for it. Um, Going back to the Greeks, you know Greeks are very important to understand uh, from a conceptual standpoint. But I personally don't trade necessarily based on the Greeks. Um, The most important Greek for me is theta, because theta is um, time, and you know T for T, so theta for time. And theta decay is the single biggest crusher for all options traders, because the suit, the closer and closer you get by the second, you know, to your expiration date, the intrinsic value of a contract gets lower and lower and lower. Um, you know, the, the, the further or the longer you stay away from being in the money with these contracts. And so I, I typically, you know, if I'm looking at Theta and I'm looking at the Theta decay, I'm typically not trying to buy those weekly contracts because the Theta decay is just far too great um, on that. Versus something that's maybe a December expiration where the theta decay is much slower. And so the intrinsic value doesn't lose as fast. So theta is a big one. Um, But at the end of the day, there's, there's something that's even more important than any of the Greeks. And that is something called implied volatility, something that people call IV. And there's this very famous term that people call IV crush. And what typically happens is people are holding a contract, you know, and it's, you know, $100 today. Then an earnings report comes out and suddenly my contract is now 90% at a loss. And it's not only, you know, $10 and I'm sitting there confused. How did I go from, you know, a $100 position to a 90% loss on a position? And the answer is because of what they call implied volatility and implied volatility. The more, whether it be hype, whether it be some notable news event, whether it be something going on in the markets. Whatever it might be, the more volatility and risk that gets created, the higher that percentage of IV becomes. And the good thing about it is that let's say I'm buying a contract today at, you know, for $100 and the IV is at 50%, but suddenly some great news comes out. They released a new product, their stock jumps, and suddenly because there's a lot of excitement, a lot of hype, which creates more volatility, my 50% IV contracts are now trading at 100% IV. And when that IV increases by 50%, the premiums of these contracts in relation also increase by that percent. And so it can work in your favor by picking out options, contracts that don't have a high IV. So one of the strategies that I look at is making sure that when I'm buying contracts, I try to stay below hundred percent because anything above hundred percent, typically it has very limited upside, but very, very big downside. And so, if you're buying something at a hundred, 150, 200 percent IV, and then something comes out and that IV drops down to 100, 75, 50, your contracts are you're going to see a huge hit. You know, almost 75 percent plus you know loss on that contract. Um, So just making sure that you're finding contracts that don't have high IVs, and if you're looking for swing trade opportunities, looking for contracts that have low IVs, so that you can ride those contracts to hopefully have a gain in IV plus a gain in um, you know stock price to get close to that strike price that
0: you have so when you so when you mention the ivs um that's not tied to any greek right like that's not like i think delta maybe is is one of them that changes based off of the the price changes based off of the whatever i don't the even know the yeah. volatility yeah thank you so <laughs> yep. um so is iv tied in with that or is it a completely separate thing or I guess, like, how can you see it? Is it, I haven't, honestly, I haven't even, like, ventured onto any of the brokerages to look at options because I'm too scared. Um, So it was like, is the IV uh, something that's trackable on there? Like, what's that look like?
2: Absolutely. So when you're, depending on what platform you're looking at, um, a lot of people, including myself, use Robinhood as one of the brokerages. Um, Thinkorswim is another one that I use. But um, with Robinhood, for example, when you open up the, you know, stock, in terms of the company that you're looking to purchase and you go into the buy menu for options, when you look at all the different option contracts that are available to purchase and you click on one of those, you can then click on the price, which is a clickable link, and it'll give you all of the data, all the Greeks, all the IV, you know, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So um, they definitely give you all that information and it's fairly easy to find once you know what you're looking for and where to click. Right, okay.
1: Okay. So, um, I think this is starting to kind of make sense. I'm still horrified of it. Um, but I think, you know, my, my question now becomes somebody like myself, who's never done it before, who may be interested in trying it, but also does not have the funds to just, you know, lose whatever I have. Right. Aside from signing up for options swing and learning from you, uh, you know, that kind (laughs) of stuff, what would you say would be a good, like, first step uh, or maybe some good resources i'm also plugging options swing here um this is a great resource uh for even non-option stuff because i use it um and i have nothing to do with options but anyways what are some good resources or like first steps that somebody like myself a total noob can start to take to try and dip my toe in
0: yeah ease yourself into it yeah
2: yeah Um, The most important thing, and I think you guys also have experienced this, is just education. And um, when you jump into options trading, people think they know what they're doing. People kind of get the concept of what's going on. The first one's always free. So they make a play and it comes out really well. And then they keep going and they keep going and slowly it starts, you know, reality starts kicking in. They realize they don't actually know what's going on and why these prices are swinging so violently and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So. From an education standpoint, the thing I love about the internet is that you can find anything and everything out there pretty much for free. You know, whether it's Investopedia and using that as a, a resource to look at terms, definitions, strategies, um, YouTube to watch other streamers and traders, and you know, learning from them. There's all sorts of resources out there. But the ultimate thing that you know you bring up, which is very important, is the actual funds. Because a lot of people, especially nowadays, with you know, COVID having been going on for so long. Don't have all that expendable, you know, income and and stuff like that to um, throw into options trading and potentially even risk losing, you know, some of that money. And so, what I always recommend, and people always kind of knock on this, is paper trading. And people say, "Oh, I can't take paper trading seriously because it's not real money." But the thing that I always kind of counter with that is, if you can't manage a ten thousand dollar trading account, um, a paper account, and you can't make that profitable, then how do you expect to do that with real money? And what about 50 K or hundred K, even though it's not real money, if you can't manage that money and grow that money, even if it's fake money, when you build your account to 10 K or 50 K or hundred K, it's not like you magically learn, you know, how to suddenly manage that money. Cause it's suddenly a bigger amount. It's just, it's just that much more risk. Um, and that much more, you know, volatility in terms of the account value in terms of that swinging. And that's why you see a lot of people's accounts literally going up, down, up, down, up, down, you know, and so forth is because. You know, from an options standpoint, it is very volatile. So if you start with paper trading and reduce the risk of losing your actual funds, but you take the time to not only learn the app, um, Thinkorswim is actually my favorite paper trading platform to use because um, they, the entire app itself between paper trading and live trading is exactly the same. Um, and so, you know, one, one mistake that I see a lot of people making is not even knowing how to use a brokerage app. Um. What is a limit order? What's a market order? What are these wide bid-ask spreads that are going on? Um, I, per, you know, I, I bought into this position, but I'm suddenly at a 10% loss already. You know What's going on? And, and a lot of it is because people just don't know how to use the app. They don't know how to put in the proper you know, orders and, and this kind of stuff. And so at the end of the day, when you're paper trading and using that app consistently and you're learning these strategies and practicing, you build up what you call trade confidence to feel like you you know, have a better grasp of what's going on and why things are happening. And then from there, people ease in with their own, you know, cash accounts to, you know, start trading. Um, The final thing that I'll also kind of say about this is that when you move into, you know, real money trading, there's something called a cash account with uh, TD Ameritrade, with Thinkorswim, that you can sign up for. And what it means is that the cash that you have in the account is the cash that you have in the account um, you can't purchase on margin, but you can have unlimited day trades within your buying power for that day. And as soon as the next day rolls around, you reset and you have your buying power again, and then you can start trading. And the reason why I really love that model is because most people, number one, don't have $25,000 to put into their trading account to allow for unlimited day trades. The second thing is that when you have a cash account, even if it's $1,000, right? and you're trading, number one, it teaches you to be more um, responsible in terms of position sizing. So you're not going $1,000 into a single position, rather maybe breaking it up into a 30% position here, a 50% you know position there and so forth. Um, but also it restrains you from trading and over trading because a lot of times people get too you know trade happy. The first trade goes well, the second trade goes well, and then suddenly they start trading too much and suddenly loss after loss, then they're chasing a trade and then, you know, revenge trading and all this stuff kind of happens. But when you have a set number of buying power where it's thousand, it's a thousand dollars for that day. And I can't go over that a thousand. And as soon as, you know, I've made my trades and I've used up that buying power, I'm out. And then I just wait till the next day to start again. It just creates a lot more cadence around your trading style. And again, it reduces the risk of overtrading.
1: Yeah. And that, that goes along really well with, um, you know, what we just talked about on another podcast about and setting your, like learning a routine, having a plan, you know, I guess making a conscious effort to, to do things consistently so that you know what you're doing and you're not just like you said, revenge trading or, you know, getting emotional and all that kind of stuff for sure. So, um, Mike, you have another question on options? Cause I want to take this a different direction in a second, but I want, I don't want to jump off of this yet. If you have something else.
0: Uh, yeah, I have a quick one. Um first, I'll just say that I really like what you said about paper trading with options. Um I'm typically not somebody that supports paper trading honestly because of that like emotion that's tied to it. Um I think that's because I can understand stocks. Like I can understand like conceptually what's going on with stocks. It's just me trying to get the strategies down and stuff like that. For options like I don't even know what's going on conceptually. So like, I think paper trading is going to be a route I take with it just to see like how this is moving and and all of that. So I think that's, that's a good um, um, note.
1: That I really like that too, just because I am also actually just on stack dads posted the other day, like uh, what are some common, like, trading ideas or investing ideas that you disagree with, just like to see some engagement, see what, like some of the common things. And like the one thing that I had always kind of knocked on as well was paper trading. And that's because I didn't do it at the beginning. And I feel like if had I done it, and it's pretty much exactly what Mike said, like, had I done it, I probably, I don't know that I would have learned the same way, but that was because I got it. I got stocks like they made sense to me, but I 100% agree with what Mike just said, and I think that you're spot on, Jason, about like for options. Like it seems like that would be a great way to learn, like trial by fire, without actually risking everything that I have.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: to do it exactly. So, yeah, yeah, that's really cool.
0: Um, just a really quick question. Um, going back to that example we we talked about earlier, you buy a hundred dollars for uh, strike price is 110 um, with that contract. Uh, so a contract is made up of a hundred shares, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So if it goes, so say it goes into the money, so it, it goes to that $115 price. Can you sell like a portion of those shares or do you have to exercise those before you can do that? Or like, can you I guess can you reduce your position without fully closing it, or do you have to have more than one contract to do that?
2: Yeah, good question. um and i kind of I kind of see where your question is coming from, so I'll kind of answer what I think is um, kind of the underlying question there. Um, number one, you know from a, a an exercising standpoint, it is in blocks of hundred, so you can only off- exercise that full contract for that full one hundred shares um, Unfortunately, there's no way to do a partial you know, exercise of, of, of those or, or whatnot. But what what I think you're kind of leading to is essentially a lot of people hold a position, um, the position goes up and then people are kind of stuck with, do I buy, or I mean, do I sell here and lock in the profits? Um, maybe I should hold it a little bit longer. And you hold it a little bit longer and then it starts to fall. And then, oh man, you know, should I wait a little bit longer? Maybe it'll go back up again. And now your position went from being in profit to suddenly at a loss. And then now you're not really quite sure what to do. And then people start kind of thinking, well, you know, I, maybe I just lock in my profit next time when it's up and I just sell everything and just lock it in. The thing that happens during this entire process is, you know, FOMO, because ultimately that's driving your decision, fear of missing out. Um, If I hold longer, maybe the the stock might go up um, and maybe I might make more money, but you know, what if I don't hold it and it goes down and I lose that money? oh, you know, maybe I sold too early and now I'm watching the stock continuously rise and now I'm having FOMO because I missed you know, all this extra money. And so what I always tell my members is scaling in and out of positions is incredibly important, um, especially when you're buying options contracts. The reason why I say it's not a good idea to put you know, 100% of your account or 90% or 80% even into your account into a single position Is because typically either the contracts that you're buying are too expensive that's causing you to stretch to buy those or you're over purchasing too many contracts you know whether it's 10 contracts but you're buying 30 of them instead you know or whatnot the biggest thing that i like to do with scaling is that when you scale into a position rather than opening that position for all 10 contracts right at the start buy five of them and then wait and then buy the other five in maybe an hour, because there really is no rush. And especially if you're thinking about swing trading and holding these for at least a day, it's okay to space out these position purchases, because even though there may be commission tied to it, commission is simply based on the number of contracts you're purchasing. So if I'm buying 10 contracts at once, or I'm buying one contract 10 times, the commission is the same regardless. So, and, and, and from a Robinhood perspective, it's free, which is even better. So what you do is you just buy five, you wait, you buy the other five, and now you have your 10 and you have a more favorable price for it, your average cost. And then whenever you want to sell it, rather than selling all 10 right at the, the, the start, sell maybe two, then sell three, then sell the other five and lock it in that way. And that way, as you're scaling in and as you're scaling out, you reduce the amount of FOMO that you have because then you're not sitting there completely empty handed by selling your entire position. But you're also not overexposing yourself by buying all ten at the same time. But suddenly the price drops, and you could have gotten these contracts at a thirty percent discount instead. You know, so there's a lot of you know good things that come from scaling.
0: Okay, yeah. So that that was the underlying question because when I first started, I was doing majority of penny stocks, um, and I'm doing less so now. But one of the strategies that I do is I scale out pretty. I don't know if aggressively is the right term, but I scale out pretty often. um, So I didn't know like what that looked like as far as options went. So you can go ahead. So,
1: yeah, um, I actually do have another question now before I take it a different direction. But um, one, so when you're scaling in and out, you're doing that still based on technicals, right? Or when like when you so when you're setting your, do you set price targets? Like you're not just like, I'm in the money, I'm taking it. Or are you still setting? Like, I want to be in the money by this much by this time point, you know, timestamp or whatever. And like, these are the times that I'm jumping out or taking part portions out. And is that based all on technicals or do you have like a, every single time I hit like a certain percentage, you know, that's my rule, you know, cause some people have different strategies. Like, you know, they're not going to get into an options con, or they're not going to get in, let's say even just stocks, right? They're not going to get in unless they know or they really believe that they're going to get at least 5% and or 10 or 15 and they're going to scale out at 5, 10, 15 period. You know, like what is your strategy, I guess, for like setting those price targets for scaling in and out?
2: Um, there's there's two ways to look at it. Number one is, like you said, from a percentage standpoint, um, scaling in in, out, in and out of positions based on you know, what percent profit you hit. So a good idea is number one, kind of looking at the expiration date. If you're holding short-term contracts and you're up 50%, lock it in, you know, because it's probably not gonna stay at 50% very long. It could go up higher, but it could very quickly go back lower again too. And so um, if you're holding short-term expirations because the volatility is a lot higher and the percent swings are a lot higher, the targets that you're trying to hit are a little bit more flexible. But when you're holding a long swing trade where the expiration is, you know, 2021, and I see that the, you know, profit itself is, um, you know, already up 30%. But I'm only, you know, my second day into my swing trade, and I have months to go. I might not actually sell then. I might just continue to hold because some of these that we, you know, managing the losers um, and then letting the winners ride. Some of these winners that you have quickly gaining value in 30%, 50% in in, in a short time. Oftentimes turn into 100% gains, 200 500% gains on these contracts um, by being patient enough. And so, it, again, it just depends on you know, like things like the expiration date and, and how close you are to being in the money. Uh, but the other side of it is also technical analysis. Because um, when you are scaling in and out of positions, let's say we're holding a call position because we think the stock price is going to go up. And we've you know, watched the chart, and the chart's been going up, but now it's nearing a resistance line. And it's getting very close to it from that perspective i know that there's likely going to be it touching the resistance line and there might be a solid chance that it might get rejected at that resistance line so because i already know that i'm so close to it at that point it might be a good idea to start scaling out of my position just to wait and if there's a you know rejection and the price falls well then i can re-enter back at that price and rewrite it up again to hit that resistance line a second time because naturally everything will always want to move up so You know, it is important to look at the stock is on that chart from a technical analysis point, Um, because also if you're right at the bottom of a support line and you have a huge gap filled, you know, of of space to move up, you don't want to sell your position out right at the bottom there. You know, you may want to, you know, hold that for a little bit longer because you know that there's now um, support, you know, forming on that support line and you see a potential swing back up and there could be a 10, 20, $30 move, you know, to the upside. Um, So again, it just kind of depends, but it's a lot of different factors, which is why options trading does get a little bit more complex. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, when you do it correctly and when you, you know, enable yourself and you learn kind of how to be a responsible trader, it's just such a great um, tool to create secondary income. Um, And it doesn't even have to, you know, be something that's big, but even an extra $500 a month. That covers you know half of a car payment if not a car payment there you know that covers half of a rent check that covers a credit card bill you know and just even five hundred dollars coming in each month that offsets a lot of other expenses or or that could be some flight tickets you know somewhere you know for pleasure so there's just so much possibility that create gets created just by being able to trade options and do it responsibly
1: uh, I think the responsibly part is super key because uh, what I don't want is listeners, you know, to to hear this and think, oh, this is easy, you know, if Mike and DJ can do it, which we can't, yeah, <laughs> uh, we then can. anybody <laughs> can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we cannot yet. Um, all right, actually, okay, I keep saying this, but all right, this is literally the last question that I'm going to ask on options before I change, but I just can't not take you here. Um, so hedging your bets, okay, like is there a way to hedge your bets with options like set, is it like if you buy a call like i also buy a put at the same time like what is how does that look and like what's the benefit of doing that
2: um hedging is always beneficial just because it allows you to offset some of your losses um from a hedging perspective like you said um you know if you're holding a call position there might be some puts that you might want to buy on the other side to protect you against that downside but typically what you're going to see is that, um, for example, let's say we're looking at Apple um, technology company, you know, we have Apple calls that we're holding on to, but rather than buying Apple puts against that, because it wouldn't really make sense to buy an Apple call and an Apple put, because that's what you call a straddle. And, and those only really work when there's a big swing to one direction, because typically that big swing will cause one side of the contract to inflate and the other side to deflate but the wins usually outweigh the losses, so you make that net profit there. Um, But at the same time though, there's a lot of times where both contracts are both losing value and you're stuck in the middle and it's not going anywhere and you're losing value that way. So when you hedge against a position like, let's say Apple, rather than buying an Apple put, what I would do is I'd buy a put on the market index. So something like QQQ. And what I would do is I would hold Apple calls, buy a QQQ put, and that way, typically, something that takes tanks the, c- the 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 company like Apple is maybe a market-driven news, something like even just the other day with Trump tweeting out that he's pushing the coronavirus stimulus bill into after election, and immediately, you see a drop from like 340s Big all the way down drop. to, yeah, mid-330s, you know, in, in just a matter of a, uh, less than a minute, you know, in yeah. two minutes. And so when you look at that, that drags all the companies down um, as well. But if you're at least holding an Apple call position and buying a QQQ put, and that market drops, well, though your contract on your call position also drops, that QQQ put on that index is rising very quickly. And so at that point, you would sell that put contract, lock in that gain, and average down on your call position to either get a more favorable, um, you know, average cost of it, or just hold cash so that you can offset if that you have to sell the uh, call contract at a loss because it just keeps you know running down. Then at least you're still holding cash from the other position that you can um, offset some of it. So, hedging hedging is always important, but you just have to use it wisely. Um, just because you have to remember that if you're bullish, then stay bullish. Um, don't try to play both sides of the fence. And if you're bullish, then just hedge appropriately on the put side, but don't go like fifty percent into puts, fifty percent into calls, because really you're never going to get anywhere doing something like that.
1: Yeah, that sounds like exactly like something I would do. Just be a total moron and be like, "Oh, well, just, uh, this, I've beat the system!" Like, there, "Here we go!" Like, I'm everything. And then, like, I just like zero. Never well, yeah, enough. it
0: just washes every time.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, well, that was. This has been super helpful again. Um, I, I feel like I am inching ever so closer to understanding options every time we talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to spend a little bit of time. Um, like a lot of the dads in our group have like they're, they're entrepreneurs or they're trying to do their own little, you know, side hustles that may be starting off kind of where yours did. And, you know, just like as a hobby or whatever, just kind of, I guess, give, if you don't mind, give, give us even me and Mike, give us some um, advice, words of wisdom on like how we can turn some, you know, something that's kind of small and just like a nugget of an idea right now into something that's pretty tangible and awesome.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, DJ. And the biggest thing that I had to figure out was I was doing a full time job, um, working as a solution architect for for a tech company. But in between that time, I had to also, um, you know, build this business of Option Swing. And the thing that I learned the most out of this entire kind of experience is delegate where possible and trust people to help you build your vision. And I say that because. At the end of the day, um, the way I look at building you know, a business is you're essentially kind of the general. And as the general of the battlefield, you should know how to go to every position and know how every position functions. You should know how to use you know, every piece of equipment on the battlefield. You should know all the strategies. You should know everything to do with the battlefield. But it's impossible as a general to be running from position to position to position doing everything. And so you have to, as you kind of scale and grow your company, you have to start finding good people and delegating some of these tasks that you've maybe started, but allowing someone else to take over so that it can free up your time to be able to focus on more things, to create more things and get that emotion. And a lot of people that I find have, you know, sometimes trust issues with delegating and giving certain responsibilities because maybe it's their vision and maybe it's something that they, you know, see, uh, but at the same time, they're afraid to release some of that control Um, you know, to someone to to take over, but ultimately people, you know, you bring these people in who are knowledgeable and um, competent because you trust them to be able to, you know, help you further and bring good ideas to the table and you have to trust them to do their job well so that, you know, again, you can continue growing rather than um, hamstring yourself and trying to do too much and wear too many hats.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. I, uh, I'm going to delegate, Everything to DJ now, so
1: <laughs> pretty much already do. <laughs> pretty much already do. So, <laughs> no, I'm just I kid, I'm I kid. end of the game, Mike, head of the game. <laughs> Mike is a is the king of delegation. No, I'm just kidding. He's uh, this is a no. This is that was helpful, you know. And um, I think that is important because you know it, it's hard to let you know your baby go and you know or not not let it go, but it's hard to like, let go of the reins a little bit and kind of, you know, you you do have to put some trust into people or else you're running yourself ragged and stuff. And um, that's, I think that's really wise and that's, that's pretty cool, but we're going to wrap up here uh, pretty soon. But you know, we, as always, we got to get some dad action in here. So um, uh, I did tell your, your buddy Warwick to prepare you for this. So I hope he did, Jason. I hope you came with, a, <laughs> I hope you came with a dad joke. <laughs>
0: I hope he didn't, and this is just completely (laughs) blind. Yeah, that's that's funny too.
2: I have (laughs) one. Awesome. Let's let's hear it. What do you got for us, Jason? All right. So, with New York in lockdown, what will the Wall Street traders be doing? Ooh, this
1: is so relevant too. It's like,
0: ooh, it is super relevant. (laughs) I feel like this is a quiz and not a joke. (laughs) All right, say it
2: one more time. Say it one more time. Sure. With New York in lockdown. What will the Wall Street traders be doing? Oh, I don't know what. What? Insider trading. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there you go. I like it. Very. There you go. Yeah. It's relevant. Yeah, it's good. that's been the. I
0: think that's been the first like stock-themed dad joke we've had. Yeah. So.
1: So, bravo. I, I felt it would be appropriate. <laughs> it is yeah,
0: appropriate. Definitely was appropriate for <laughs> was sure. Really
1: good. That was good. Mike, what do you got for us?
0: So I've got one from my volleyball friend. Uh, Tracy again? No, different, different one.
1: Okay. Well, give him okay. a shout out. You got to give him a shout out.
0: Her name is Brooke. She is a chiropractor here in the Des Moines area. So y'all check her out. I don't know where her practice is. We can, we can invoice her for this. That's fine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What do you call a martial artist in the fall? uh i don't know jacket Chan. <laughs> jacket <Jan. laughs> Yeah. oh gosh
1: that's really that's actually pretty funny. i like that <laughs> pretty good. that's not bad right <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> what's yours dj have you exhausted all of your funny no ones? i think i got Go something back to your bad dad jokes
1: <laughs> well What's funny to me is uh, usually not funny to other people, <laughs> so I I get like a one out of t- <laughs> I get like a one out of ten success rate on these. But let's see. All right, so I th- I think this one's really funny, um, okay. but probably isn't. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. You know what they say about cliffhangers?
2: What?
0: <laughs> you douche! That's not funny at all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. That's
1: funny. It's good. I like
0: your morbid ones more.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is probably the first. Uh, this is All right, Jason, you haven't heard some of these that because they we've just been recording them recently, but like the last three episodes we <laughs> All
0: right,
1: one. we'll tell them this one again. Wait, is it on the episode? <laughs> it is on the episode that we're going to air before this. So that's it's on the
0: real estate. Okay, message. all right, that one's yeah, going to be one before
1: it. this episode. All right, so I'll tell it again just because I think it's really funny. Okay, so Jason, why didn't Batman have supervision? No idea. His parents are dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jason's silent oh, laughing. Man.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so morbid. But... Supervision. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was like the most I genuinely laughed at one of your jokes in my life, I think.
1: Probably ever. So... Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, it's, it's, I I just, I'm just not a good dad joke teller. I mean, I'm more of like a situational guy. Like as things are happening, I say really corny stuff. I don't like (laughs) stuff it, Mike. (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, you are, you, you are funny. I'm funny. I'm uh, situationally funny. We'll say that. (laughs) So, all right, Jason, um, tell the people what they would get from an option swing, uh, subscription. Tell them like what they can be looking for here.
2: Yeah, so um, the the best thing about kind of what we build as a community is that it's filled with like-minded traders and people all on the same mission as, you know, hopefully what you are on in terms of joining the community, which is to learn how to trade um, and learn how to become profitable to create multiple streams of income. So. Signing up to our community, some of the things that they're going to get is, you know, over 2,000 people, um, again, like-minded that are all there chatting and talking to each other, sharing ideas, asking questions and learning. Um, There's a ton of automation that's built into the community. Something that I mentioned earlier about, you know, looking at the market flow data and being able to alert the group when a $1 million purchase of Apple calls have been made for, you know, a short expiration, that kind of stuff, you know, is included. And then we also have an entire educational chat. Which is dedicated to Q and A, people being able to ask questions related to trading, really related to anything, and having um, over eight educators sit in that room and be able to respond back and provide feedback. And so it's just a very interactive, very engaging type of place, and it's a very safe place as well. Um, I also see a lot of like tox- toxicity around people uh, putting people down because they make a bad trade, or you know about these losses that they've sustained, and oh, you know. Um, you know, knocking them on that but the last thing that someone wants to hear you know in a position like that is getting knocked on you know they, they want to learn how to not take these losses and, and so forth so um, again just the culture of the group of being so encouraging for everyone and being able to share really anything and, and being able to engage just creates a lot of loyalty but a lot of um, you know productivity at the end of the day of each member coming in wanting to learn.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think you want me and Mike to join because we'll just sit on that Q&A chat all day and ask really dumb questions and <laughs> like get super annoying super fast. It's what it's there for. <laughs>
2: oh, I love it's it. what it's there for. It's uh, awesome.
1: So um, just so all of our listeners know, you have the opportunity of a lifetime here. Uh, I mean, it's pretty cool opportunity. Um, but Jason has generously offered a 30% lifetime discount code. If you use uh, StockDads, all capital letters, um, S-T-O-C-K-D-A-D-S, because I know Mike can't spell. Um, yeah, thanks. So that's that was for Mike. All capital letters, <laughs> all one word, uh, as a discount code, you'll get thirty percent off the, um, for life. So it's not just like a first month deal; it's like thirty percent off. So this is a really good deal. Uh, you should definitely check out the Options Swing Discord. Definitely follow the Instagram page. Um, is there anywhere else that they can find you, Jason?
2: Um, website, you know, Instagram, um, YouTube is another channel that we have. We have an educational partner called Everyday um, Growth Advisors who does Monday through Friday live streams um, one hour before market open each day, um, and he covers numerous topics. He educates you know people again through a live stream. So um, again, that is Everyday Growth Advisors for that YouTube channel.
1: Awesome. So yeah, check them out. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been really valuable. Um, just for just to get our stuff out of the way here. Uh, as always, make sure you follow. Uh, you know, join the Stock Dads community on Facebook. Um, you know, subscribe to this podcast so you can get updates as soon as episodes are released every Tuesday morning. Um, give us a five star review if you want. But just realize, I just actually read the other day that five star reviews like don't help us at all but it makes me feel really good so give us a lot (laughs) of them um just because i like to look at them it it makes me feel (laughs) yeah it helps me emotionally so um but yeah those are really cool so if you want to give us one of those that'd be awesome and then um we also have a stock moms page uh that's run by moms for moms so if you uh are listening um and you're a mom or a lady go check that one out if you're a dude or a dad send your uh loved ones over whatever and you know kind of get them on the same path and um yeah we're all just on kind of out to do this together that's one of my favorite things about the trading community is everybody can win you know what i mean like at the same time it's like not like this thing where everybody's got to compete with one another and we're all just kind of out for the same stuff which is you know to build generational wealth and to take care of ourselves and our families and i think it's pretty cool so um what do you got mike anything to wrap up with
0: no i think i think you covered it all uh so awesome. good
1: job. oh man it yeah. feels good to thanks. get that off my chest so yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah thanks for joining me, jason yeah
2: thank you very much yeah it's my pleasure thank you yeah. for having me guys i really appreciate it yeah, yeah.
1: Well, for sure we'll definitely be uh you know like hounding you to come back at another date you know we'll see if uh if we can get follow-up <laughs> episodes or
0: not we're probably know. about to get blocked <laughs> yeah as soon as, this, no, soon as the you. recording
1: stops he's gone It'll never. no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're super down to earth. And uh, I was, to be honest, I was a little nervous coming into the episode and stuff because you don't, you know, talk to people with 125,000 followers on Instagram every day. And you, I kind of assumed that you were going to be like, you know, very, uh, I don't know, fully yourself or conceited or whatever, but you're probably the coolest guy that I've met tonight. and I definitely like you more than Mike. So that's good. You want to be my new co host, Jason? You want to just do this like full time
2: with me? I'm (laughs) always looking for new ventures. There you go. I love it. So, all right. Well,
1: we're going to wrap it up because I'm sure that our listeners are probably starting to get annoyed and eye roll a little bit here. So, uh, well, as always, we're out. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our Stock Dads community
0: on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat.